We still do seven NUFC Matters show a week for free. But if you want to help support NUFC Matters, then there are a few ways of doing it. Hit the like button on each live broadcast and video. This helps the channel grow. Hit the subscribe button and select the all notifications bell so you don't miss a single show. If you want to help us financially, then you can join the channel using this button with the membership starting at $1.99 a month. Or you can drop us a donation in the chat using a super sticker. We're also looking for sponsors. If you'd like your brand advertised on the flies for the show and featured during the ad break, then email john at nufcmatters.com to arrange today. Welcome along to NUFC Matter. This is a pre-recorded show and it is Talk of the Tune with me and Sid. And as always on the show, uh, we also have Rock and Rob, who's going to give us his album review. And because he's busy uh, today, we'll promise to get him on a little bit earlier so we could crack on with the work that he's got to do. So without further ado, here's his little intro. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Rob. How are you? Really good, Steve. How are you? Yes, very good, mate. Very good. Very and uh, which album are you going to take us through today, mate? Going for this baby, the oh, Who's for Junior. First UK pressings comes with the booklet. I love that. I think um, with vinyl for me, it's UK, Japanese, and German pressings seem to be the best for clarity and sound for me. So um, yeah, it's, I was watching the film recently, and now I'm older. You watch these things when you're younger, like Pink Floyd, The Wall. Then you get older, you get a bit of life experience. You watch them, and it means more. So this is um, in October 1973. It had three singles, 515, Love, Rain Over Me, and The Real Me. This was a follow-up from um, Tommy and Who's Next. Before I go any further, if you could leave a message in the comment, if you'd like me to review an album of your choice. And I'm also thinking about maybe doing a, a 10 most overrated albums going forward. So if you just drop me a message, anything you want me to review for you. So this to me is a story about life struggles, journey about Johnny and his self-worth, work, relationships, friendships, really powerful film, concept album, of course, Mods and the Rockers and the Battle at Brighton Beach. Opens up with I Am The Sea, it's just okay, it's kind of a disappointing opener, but it's just a little piece of music for an intro. You've got track two, it's called The Real Me, real like this one, there's a lot of pain and angst in this and Daltrey's voice. Um, 
John Entwistle's bass playing is absolutely phenomenal. And this one, Keith Moon hits the skins like they own money. Really, really good song. Then you've got the song Quadrophenia, this instrumental. Goes on a bit too long for me again, but it does, it flows enough with the album. It's okay. Yeah, you've got Cut My Hair. Good song about Jimmy's life and trying to fit in with the mod culture. Great lyrics. Um, Pete uh, Townsend vocals on this are really, really good. Um, then you've got the Punk and the Godfather, so it's a lot of power chord intros. Again, song about Jimmy going to the concert for the first time. Really, really good song. Quite like it, quite gritty. Then I'm One, classical intro, quite quiet tracks. So Pete Townsend again sings this beautifully, I think. I quite like his voice. It's about loneliness and boredom. Great guitar hooks on this song. You've got The Dirty Jobs. I think this is an underrated song and album. Really like this song. Again, nice power chords on it. Daltrey's vocals and deliveries sound absolutely amazing. It's a song about working nine to five, that sort of mundane life. Helpless Dancer next. It's a cheeky, sinister tune, sort of pounding piano intro. But the dangers where Jimmy grew up on the streets. Um, I'm also finding with this as well, it's reminding me of when I've done, if you look at the back catalogue stuff, uh, Pill Stills and Belly, Steve, I've done that. Again, it was a bit of journey with a young lad, and I'm sort of finding references here as well with that, sort of growing up. Um, it's in my head. It's like a straight ahead ballad that's decent enough, nice vocal harmonies on it. It's okay. Uh, I've had enough. Really good song, really good swagger about this. Daltrey's vocals again, spot on. It's about Jimmy contemplating his mod passion. You know, again, top draw drumming by Keith Moon. Um, this is a scene in the film when he does his crashes his scooter. Then you've got 515. This is a single, absolute masterpiece. It's about Jimmy's train journey <clears throat> down to Brighton. Uplifting song, really, really good production as well, I must admit. Scene sand, nice atmospheric feel to this one. Jimmy's travel from home life, not as, as good as he predicted. I quite like this song, mid-tempo. I like that. It's a bit of a down song, but I like it. I like the story behind it. You've got Drowned, um, sounds a bit tired. The rolling piano part reminds me of Rolling Stones jumping Jack Flash a bit. Simple story about Jimmy's dreams of drowning. There you go. And you've got Bellboy. I think Sting played this part in that. I'm not too sure. Uh, Well-constructed song. Keith Moon's show, showcase song for me is he's drumming. This is this, this an animal from the Muppets. Uh, good rock song. Sort of operatic theme song. Keith Moon, honestly, just he sings on the chorus in this as well. Singing drummers, who'd have them, eh? Then you've got Dr. Jimmy. Not keen on this. Quite pointless, to be honest with you. It's like rhyming lyrics, a bit erratic. Weakest song in the album for me. Not a fan of it. You've got The Rock, a really, really good instrumental song. It's not too long. It's a good filler song. It's a good place on the album. It's good for your imagination going during the sun. And you've got um, that outstanding Love Rain Over Me, or, or, or Me. Outstanding emotional song, Dolce's vocal again, top draw. Perfect song to end the album on. It's brilliant to hear. The soundtrack on, it's absolutely brilliant song. Really, really powerful. Um, I can relate to the concept of this album, Jimmy's journey in life, and sort of part of goth scene, sort of first generation, and that. You sort of you pick up on things, and when I was at school, you sort of picked what you were, and you stuck with it. Um, so then, obviously, you've got Jimmy's main part, sort of the younger fans watching this. So he was on um, Park Life, which was Blur's video. So that's it's going to get a nine and a half out of ten. Really loved listening to it again, again, like I'm saying now, I'm older. Just that that appreciation again. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, solid album that, mate. Honestly, and uh, I've got the yeah, I've got the original, got the first pressing mm-hmm. of that, and it's uh, I think it's worth a few quid now. But um, it's in yeah. pristine condition. I wouldn't sell it for, for loving the money. Like mm-hmm. it's uh, it's one of my treasured possessions. That but great. And uh, Sid, just before Rob jumps off, I mean your your appraisal of that album, it's a it's a belter, isn't it? It's hard for me to comment. The whole my favorite band, along with this gentleman, is my favorite artist. Uh, Quadrophenia for me is in the top two greatest albums of all time, mm-hmm. without a shadow of a doubt. We did mm-hmm. recently did a show where we picked the top ten greatest albums. Me and a couple of lads, the fellow from America and a lad from down south, and uh, that was my number one. Picked London Calling, which is obviously immense as well. Um, it's it's an absolute masterpiece. Go watch the show. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ramble on too long because I could talk about Quadrophenia for hours. Yeah. It's just absolutely an incredible album, and it's an, an album that means so much to you when you're young but it still grows it's it's absolutely phenomenal the who at the peak absolutely Mm -hmm. out there prime that was yeah that was them and on full force just got everything about it that you want in a great great album as i say in my top two or three albums of all time yeah quadrophenia Quadrophenia, great film as well and don't forget to be someone which couldn't be billed as uh, quadrophenia 2 was a film i was in uh, we filmed it a few years ago, uh, just before lockdown, and there uh, it was me on my scooter. Uh, oh, very uh, impressive. Yeah, very, very a great, great <laughs> few days filming with Ray Burtis and the gang on that, but obviously a lot of the original cast were in that, and uh, yeah, great stuff. But Rob, uh, thanks very much, mate. As always, look forward to catching up with you next week. Uh, take care, mate. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye, bye, everyone. Bye now. Great to have Rob on, and uh, yeah. I was having to bite uh, my tongue because I still wanted to talk about quadrophenia, but I'm not going to. It's, that's for another day. Go on, you carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we're going to get into uh, Newcastle United now, and um, wow, that really on the on the 13th anniversary of Newcastle's comeback of all comebacks against Arsenal, the 4-4. Um, Newcastle have done it again, another 4-4 at St James's Park, but this time against Luton Town, who I've got to be honest. I was really impressed with Sid. I was really impressed with them. They really came to Newcastle United, to St. James's Park, to our backyard, and they gave it all they could. And and credit to Newcastle as well, because to go 4-2 down, um, it's not not a pleasant experience. And it's not one you tend to come back from. Well, I missed 4-4 at the Arsenal game, because I was in London at a concert that weekend, and I missed it. (laughs) <laughs> I was at, I was I was there I was I was actually I was actually with Tino Aspria that day really? and he he was muttering away um <laughs> as you would imagine in various expletives coming out of his mouth mm. uh, and he wasn't very complimentary at all but um wow the celebrations when uh, when we got back to 4-4 that day but it was slightly different at the weekend again Yeah uh, they, I mean, first of all their fans were fantastic I just want to put that out there we were talking to a few of them in the bar afterwards Great lads, really nice. They were really complimentary about the city. They were complimentary about the fans, saying that it was a good atmosphere. I thought it was a really good atmosphere at the game, actually. Um, so they were top draw. Their fans were great. I was dead impressed by them. Uh, the team were fantastic. It was a fair result. There's no ifs or buts about it. 4-4. <laughs> I mean, what were the odds on 4-4? But uh, the, the, it was a really fair result. I thought they're... I thought they're, 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 they're their match ideas in terms of they came up with a plan, they stuck to it, and they, they were really, really good. They were really, really impressive. I mean, the, the lad on the wing was sensational. He's absolutely lightning. And then, is it Adebayor, the lad up front? Yes. 
superb, absolutely immense. He was he was top top draw. He caused us so many problems. And Barkley was man of the match. He just ran the show. He just literally got the ball, ran through the middle. Nobody stopped him, uh, and he just dictated play. If we'd had him on our team, we'd have won the game. He was that big a difference. He he just literally ran the whole show. He was superb, absolutely superb. If he's a free in the summer, snap his arms up. You know, he's he's, he's an absolute bargain. So, got yeah. to be honest, uh, I mean, the criticism that I heard coming out of St. James's Park and then subsequently watched on social media was all, all directed towards Dan Byrne. Um, yeah. And, and I, I listen, we're both old enough and, and ugly enough and long in the tooth enough to have heard many a boo boy, boo, uh, <laughs> boo of certain player. Um, social media gives it a bigger echo chamber. But yeah, Dan Byrne getting it in the neck quite a bit at the moment and he's taken over from Trippier you know Trippier went through it at Christmas now it's Dan Burns turn I mean he had a shocker let's be honest he had a really bad game I mean personally I would have taken him off at half time I, I thought him and Miggy were awful for the whole game uh, I, and again what am I I'm not the manager but my personal view was I would like to have seen them both be replaced at half time and bring Tina on for a bit of pace not that I think he would have kept up with the lad because I think the lad was like Grease Lightning uh, to quote Greece, but uh, and he was dead impressive. But Tino certainly came on and solidified the back four. Dan Byrne, yeah, he got absolutely rinsed for pace. I mean, the lad just had him on toast. But it's not just Dan Byrne's fault. You don't just defend by one man, and the team did not defend as a team. And I said last week there was a massive gap over the top where or down the side where Dan Byrne's just isolated on his own, and nobody's there to help him. And that seemed to be the same situation again. So it's not just all on him. Yeah, he didn't have a great game, but it's literally not just him. It's the rest of the team. No backtracking off some of the players. Nobody to help them out. The fact that their midfield could just walk through. I mean, this, was it the second goal where Barkley just ran, walked through the middle of, right from the halfway line, through the middle and scored? And you're thinking, how weird, really? So as a defensive unit, we were really, really poor. I appreciate... I appreciate them playing Dan Byrne for the hype factor, but they still scored from the from the the first free kick, really, wasn't it? But mm. the largest had him. It's the first. I think it's possibly the first real game where I've seen Dan Byrne absolutely scorched. Mm. It, it was the, probably the first time when I've seen him absolutely done on toast, and I would have taken him off. I mean, the Villa game. If we go back to that for a second, he was getting done off the lad who came on. Is it Bailey came on for Villa, did him for the whipped down first for the first goal, did him, and then the second one, which was offside, how then switched it. Some might argue it was a little bit late. Some might say he got it right at the right time, and it seemed to be the same scenario again. But at this point, we were like, was it four two down at that point? Um, it's too late to score three goals. And don't get us wrong, I thought the, the team were fantastic in terms of. They're a team because they came back from a position. I mean, under Steve Bruce, we'd have just went and took five or six or seven at that point. So the fact that they came back shows you that they're a unit and that they're all united. And we thought we were going to win towards the end, let's be honest. But, um, yeah, I mean, Byrne, he, he did have a poor game. And I, I think he exacerbated the whole situation by, yes, he gave away the first one, but the second one he was also guilty of as well due to the fact that, or, or third, whichever goal it was, by getting the ball, running up the park, trying to make up for his mistake, 
giving the ball away and they ran down the other end and scored. And you could see him holding his hands in his head. And then when he got taken off, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but we were watching from the East stand. He was kicking in. He was kicking the air. He's kicking the, the place where he was sat. He was booting away at it. He was at sheer frustration. And then at the match, you know, at the end of the match, he came round and he actually apologised to the East stand. He put his hands up and said, like, sorry. And he didn't have to say sorry. You know, it's not his, you know, it's just one of those things, isn't it? You know, you win and lose as a team. And, uh, and I thought that was fair enough. Uh, I think that's a great point to make because depending on where you sit in the ground depends on what you see. And I didn't mm. see that. Um, I certainly didn't blame him wholeheartedly. I felt no. our mid I felt our midfield were lacking. And and I, I would agree with you on Almiron. I would tell I'll tell you now the conversations that I had with my dad and my brother and uh, the people around me at the match were exactly the same. That I would have taken Dan Byrne off at half time. However, I did say that Eddie Howe wouldn't do that. And and of course that was proven to be the yep. case. Um I just felt Probably Lewis Miley um, looked first half out of this world again. Leggy. Second half, second half, leggy looked as if he was touring a cart, like a, a, a cart behind him at times. And I felt that the midfield probably didn't pick up the man. And you know, I'd add that to the fact that Byrne came out of position to charge forward to try and put right or wrong. Um, we just got caught out. You know, the penalty. I watched that now on TV numerous times. And I guess it comes into the category of I've seen them given and I've seen them not given, Sid, because I, I still can't decide whether now, after seeing as many angles, whether I thought it was a penalty or not. And I, I'd say probably VAR took their time again, but probably deservedly so, because, you know, there needs to be more clarity on that rule. The referee didn't give it. Um, and where we were sat, because we were almost parallel with the edge of the box in Eastern, and uh, we, we, we looked at it and... I thought, oh, I think it's a penalty. But you, you're never sure. You're, you're never sure in real time. But he was still seemed to be dragging him back. And it, and it, it seemed to be the case when you were... It was, hard, it was hard to argue against, if I'm being honest, you know. I think the I first said, contact was outside the box. It was definitely and, outside the and, box. And the second contact was identical to the first contact. But the kid went down. So really, but I believe the rules are it... that if it carries on and it can continues into the box, then it is a penalty. So... Right, okay. I believe that's what they've just they've gone with, and I, you can't argue with it really. Um, it was just it was just poor defending, but again, nobody there to help them. Um, but I mean, they were they were terrific. They were really really terrific. I've, I've got no no complaints about Luton, and I hope they stay up. I, I do hope they stay. I think they will actually, judging by their their style of football. They've got goal as as we know now. They've got goals in them, and goals goals keep you up rather than getting nil nils. You know, you might. You might, I don't know, you might lose two off the trot, but you might win one. And they're going to be that sort of team. And those wins, because they've got they've got goals, are going to keep them up. Um, yeah. They're not a bad little team at all. The fact that they've taken four points off us as well, so that speaks volumes. Um, but no, I, I was very impressed, very impressed by them. I was impressed, though, afterwards when we did make the changes. I thought Barnes was excellent. When he came on, he made a real difference. His goal was brilliant. Absolutely terrific goal, wasn't it? Yeah. And, uh, and obviously, Trippier's goal was excellent. And people haven't talked enough about Bruno's outside-of-the-foot Nobby Solano-type pass, which just floated around, went round the defence, and Trippier came bombing in on the back post. That was an absolute world-class goal. Not talked about at all because we were sort of desperate to get the fourth goal. Fantastic finish, that. Absolutely fantastic. 
Um, so dead, dead, net, dead impressed in terms of the comeback. I thought mm. Gordon was brilliant until he went off. I thought he really led the line really well. He caused loads of little problems with them, doing different movements, cutting back in and out. He was terrific again until he went off. But you were, you're right about Miley, and that was the other complaint I had. And I made a, I made a comment the other day, and somebody moaned about it. <laughs> when I said I would have, I know, you shouldn't bother going on Twitter sometimes. And I made a comment about Miley, and I just said I would have taken him off after about 70 minutes, after whatever the fourth goal was. Because after that, we were just walking past him. I'm not I'm not digging him out. You know, he's a 17-year-old lad. He was just tired. So if he's tired, take him off and replace him. And I would have put Hall on. And, and Hall's played midfield for Chelsea before. He's played midfield for us a little bit as well on the odd occasion. He looks like he can do a job. He looks like a footballer when you look at all the highlight clips of him. We still don't know why he's not playing. And I would have I would have brought him on. You know, whatever his role's going to eventually be, if he has a role at the club. He looks like he's going to be a tidy footballer. I would have brought him on just for the legs factor alone. And he's he's quicker than Miley. Mm. So, and it goes back, it keeps going back though, Steve, to the fact we haven't got a number six. And I keep saying it until I'm blue in the face, but teams are just walking through our midfield. They're just mm. walking through. Bruno, I think Bruno's goal is, uh, assist as well showed you he's really more of an eight than a six. Mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a creator rather than just a defender. And I think we're not getting the best out of him. Because if people remember, the first half season that we had him, the January to the summer, I think he scored five goals. Yeah, he did. And uh, he's he's not he's barely scoring, if, if at all, these days, because he's playing much, much deeper. So the lads, if he scored five goals, then you could argue he could get 10 goals a season and create lots of goals. And he's, for me, he's been played out of position. And it's... It potentially might be the reason that we end up losing if we if we don't put him in the right place, you know, and that'd yeah. be a real, that'd be a real shame. Yeah, I've got to be honest. I felt you know maybe Murphy as well struggled a little bit, and I think it's only well, it's understandable. You know, yeah. Almiron was recovering from illness. Murphy's recovering from the the shoulder operation, and and will be trying to regain match fitness. And they both, you know, they both had the they both featured at Villa Park. So, you know, I think a lot of that, a lot of that can be down to that. And of course, Wilson came came on, lacked a bit of match sharpness, but you know, found himself up against a, a tough opponent. Their number two really man marked him from the moment he came on the pitch. Yeah, I thought Wilson did all right, funnily enough, when he came on. You're right though, because they both played, and we forget about the fact that they've been injured for quite a long time, and it's one of those things. Because I thought at Villa Murphy was ex excellent. He was really outstanding for me. Um, and, I, and I thought Miggy did really well actually on the left. It seemed, especially when he created that goal when he whipped it across. Um, so I suppose we take that into account. Certainly in Murphy's case, in particular, by the fact that he played a whole game. I thought he was all right. I thought he was all right. I didn't think he was terrible by any means. Uh, but I just thought it's for me the problem, and it's it's the midfield more so than the defence just by the fact that people can just walk through them. Longstaff's finishing was terrific the other day, by the way. His first goal was like watching Brian Robson, wasn't it, where he just charged in and banged it in. But I didn't think he played that well. You know, he scored two goals, and I didn't think he had a great game. Miley's pass for the first goal was unbelievable. I thought that was sensational. And Bruno had a poor first half and an excellent second half. Mm. But we're lacking. We're lacking in the middle of the park, and whether it's big duo that we're missing or whether it's some other different type of enforcer or a six my well, my view as I've, I've put it up firmly there is a six 
and again put somebody else in there to hold it up for the for the end of the game or do something do something about it. In this case, we were chasing, so I've no real problems with that. But for other games, which I, I feel I feel that how's not been backed enough. You know, yeah. it, was, it seems silly, really, think to see in the amount of money we've spent. But you know, it was cry. It's been crying out. Everybody's been crying out for a holding midfielder, and we didn't get one. And we've not bought anybody. We didn't buy anybody, but nobody's bought anybody in the in the transfer window. It's, was it less than a hundred million spent? Quietest window for for many many years, and one which you know, one which we I think we all predicted it was going to be like that. You know, I, I think it's interesting you say about Bruno. I mean, Bruno clearly is, is going to be disappointed about you know the the way that things are going. I've seen a few quotes attributed to him in the in the last forty eight hours. You know, again, I, whenever the press start putting quotes in Bruno's mouth or or dissecting something that he said and trying to give a, a slant on it, I'm always a little bit wary. But um, you know, I mean, you know, taking your point about him potentially, you know. Maybe he's not been a six. Um, you know, some of the balls he played in, um, you know, and from 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 the rules and you know, he put that ball in for Murphy at the back post where Murphy should have finished to make it should five have. four. Um, but he is capable of providing those types of chances. Um, and he, he did assist for Trippier's goal as well. We, we rarely see him that advanced. Um, but I'd I genuinely I would say I don't think we see the best of him when he's playing as a six. No, um, I, agree. I, I think he's better as an attacking option, you know. So I think I think when Tonali comes back next season, I think we'll see Tonali adopting that role. I think I think where how struggled with playing the two of them together was you know, maybe maybe Tonali's come in expecting to be playing Bruno's rule. I, I, I think if he sits deep and he allows Bruno to push on, I think we see something completely different next season. But at the minute, we haven't got that option. And we've lost Joe Linton. It was like our midfield enforcer, and we're lost without him. The problem being with with Tonali is people forget that in, in if AC Milan he played a double pivot, so yes. how would have to change the style? And Bruno could probably adapt to that because Tonali would be great because he's lightning. So that balances off a little bit of the fact that there's zero pace in the middle of our midfield at the moment until Willick comes back, uh, and so he's got that, and that that could that could counterbalance it a little bit more. I'm just not. I'm not sure if Eddie Howe's committed to doing that. I, I, I don't know. I, I need to be convinced. But then, then when we when he came to Newcastle, everyone thought he was going to play four four two, and he didn't play any of that whatsoever, which he played, I think, for all of his career at Bournemouth. So yeah. he clearly is a man who's prepared to adapt and change things. I would, from my perspective, I would like to see him change it a little bit more and a little bit quicker in the games. But that's the whole point of being a fan. Sometimes is to grumble and groan and you know and seek seek perfection which doesn't really exist um but yeah i'd like i'm interested in terms of what he's going to do in the summer because i'm i'm obviously hoping that he's still the man that's in charge in the summer and i would i'm intrigued to see who he's going to buy because one of the things i watched the other day and i don't know if you've seen the craig hope thing or what he put out there is that they, Newcastle were definitely interested in billing, which I mentioned last week was a definite no for me. And and Dewsbury Hall was was another name mentioned. Again, really, is he an elite footballer? Is he a good footballer? Yes, he is a good footballer. Would he get into Liverpool and Man City's team? No, in, in my view. So therefore, why should he be coming to our... Why, why would we put him in? You know, we need to be... If you want to be an elite club, you've got to go and get elite footballers. And 
maybe, maybe we need to allow the scouts, Nixon and others, a greater say in terms of who's coming into the club, mm-hmm. is my perspective. You know, because you, you could argue that the manager's got a specific viewpoint, you know, the whole British thing and have they played in the Premier League. But you look at Bruno and you could eat, and he's like, and of course, Eddie Howe's given the nods up for them to come, which is great. And they've been magnificent. Yeah. Take a chance, take a chance a little bit more, but then people, I suppose, could flip it and go, well, you know, we've got burned by another player who's coming to come play for a whole season. So, with yeah. So. Yeah, I'd agree. Okay, uh, we're halfway through the short time for the ads. A big thanks to all our sponsors. Skips and Bins, telephone 0800 2545 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website, skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection. Thanks again to Mr. Vicky Sources, handmade in Cumbria. If you'd like to order some, then give them a call on 01768 210102. Go to the website, mrvickies.co.uk, or drop them an email, info at mrvickies.co.uk. A big thanks to United Group Travel. They're a family firm based in Morpeth with pickups throughout the Northeast. No strangers on our tours, just people you haven't met yet. They've got a presence on Facebook and a website, unitedgrouptravel.com. If you want to make a booking, give them a call on 01670 632. 460 or mobiles 0791 666 4174 0795 71 41654. Thanks to Darren Baldwin Funerals, independent funeral directors. Let us look after you in your time of need. They're based on Old Durham Road in Gateshead, and you can contact them at their website, darrenbaldwinfunerals.co.uk. Email Darren at DarrenBaldwinFunerals.co.uk or give them a call 0191-478-2730. A big thanks to Media Arts for all the help with the technical side of things. And a big thanks to New Workwear. You can find them at NewWorkwear.com. If you want to help the channel, hit the thumb up to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button and share to your other social media. You can also pay a one-off fee of £25 to get a scarf, a cup, a pen, and a membership card. Go to the website, nufcmatters.com, and click membership. Or put your smartphone over this QR code. We also support the food bank on this channel. If you want to make some donations virtually, go to nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk and make a donation today. We're also a podcast. On Spotify, iTunes, and other podcast providers, just search NUFC Matters. I'm also a part of the Northeast Footy Brecky Show. You can listen to that Monday to Friday, 7 or 9, at thetooneuk.com. Okay, welcome back to NUFC Matters with me and Sid. I just want to point out there's a couple of events coming up. Uh, There is one in Scotland uh, by the Newcastle United Scotland Supporters Association and it is an evening with Nobby Solano on the 24th of February. You can get your tickets from 0759-639-3387. You can also get your tickets now for an evening with Rob Lee, one night in Antwerp. Ticket prices start at £15.00. And that's at the O2 City Hall in Newcastle. Uh, you can get your tickets uh, from Ticketmaster 
www.cardiff.co.uk and uh, a little bit uh, in the future this one but uh, Friday the 24th of January next year uh, you can get your tickets uh, for an evening with the entertainers and uh, entertainers will be announced each month uh, by the theatre and uh, tickets for those uh, uh, that that event is 0844 249 1000 or go to the website timestheatreandoperahouse.uk so I uh, get your tickets for those events now uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, something which we've discussed on the other podcasts over the last couple of days. Um, and I just want your opinion on this because it affects us all. And, and this is about the, the supporter who has uh, put something out on her social media. And I don't really want to go back into the, the topic of what she put on her social media. I think uh, the point I would like to discuss with you is, is, a, is in wider terms. But a football fan has been banned from St. James's Park uh, until 2026, after the Premier League conducted a four-month probe into her social media posts criticising a particular topic. Now, despite that, police have said she hasn't committed a crime. That was sorted out pretty much straight away. Um, what I want to discuss, Sid, and I've, as I say, I've discussed this with everybody this week because I would like to get a broad section of views to see whether anyone agrees or disagrees. Um, this is very big brother. And... I think what concerns me about this, and I've discussed it on the Northeast Football Breakfast Show as well with Middlesbrough and Sunderland fans, is that I could put something out on social media, which isn't deemed inappropriate, uh, but may be deemed inappropriate by one section of the, the world's population. That you know, somebody then connected with the club, you know, doesn't have to be working for the club. It can be somebody who sits on a fans committee or be part of the diversity committee. Could then suddenly go, I'm not happy. I feel threatened by that particular person, social media, and what they are saying about uh, about that particular situation. And suddenly, you're in prob you're in trouble. You're banned from the football club. So. <sighs> Is this right? You should be doing this, and we're going to watch this with interest because this is obviously now being appealed, and there's there's a big a big appeal going on. It's now in the public domain. You can pick it up on a variety of newspapers now. Uh, free speech, a free speech organisation is now picked up on it as well. Um, I think the, the most concerning thing about this Sid, was that they, it, as part of their investigation, um, there were. The, there were photographs and, and, and stuff in the file where, you know, they look right into her life, where she drinks, um, where she socialises, where she lives, where she works, um, who she associates with on social media. Um, it literally was like Big Brother is watching you. And I I, I find that wrong. I, I personally find that really wrong. If it was something that was directed at the football club or somebody at the football club or a supporter of the club and and, and, and that was the case, I could understand why this is an issue, but I just don't understand why this has become an issue. It's hard for me to comment without knowing the context because I don't really know the context of the whole thing. But what I, I mean, if somebody's made like a homophobic or racist comment or whatever it may be, and as you see, well, I can listen. It's out there. I don't mind. I don't mind saying. I don't mind saying this. So I, I will. I will read you an excerpt from the Daily Telegraph, which um, uh, or the or, or the Daily Mail, in fact, which is in front of us. Um, and it was, uh, she was accused of discriminating against trans people. Right. So basically, um, you know, she put a tweet out on her own social media and essentially was, and, and, and this particular supporter, she, she's gay, 
uh, as well. Right, okay. Uh, th there was an 11-page dossier compiled by the Premier League, which include details of where she lives, works, and where she works, uh, where she walks her dog. Uh, Miss Smith was interviewed by police after the dossier was handed to them by Newcastle United. It took police officers two hours to confirm she did not commit a crime. But despite this, the club still revoked her membership and banned her from coming to games until 2026. Um, she's quoted in this uh, in this particular article, saying that she feels violated. Um, Newcastle United started looking into her personal life after receiving a complaint from a fan who accused her of discriminating against trans people. Speaking to Toby Jones at the Free Speech Union, Lindsay added, I was banned for the rest of the season and the next two. I live 10 minutes away. I struggle to come to the, near to the ground, to be honest with you. I get upset when I talk about it because I don't understand where it's come from. I don't understand why someone's gotten so offended by me just speaking my mind. I just don't get it. Um, she goes on to say she avoids the city, especially when it's a match day. And uh, yeah, just, just a rather unsavoury situation, mate. Yeah, if it's got nothing to do with the club, then it shouldn't really be a club issue. Is is the way I would look at it? That that, yeah. that would be my perspective. It's odd because I'm, I'm I'm going to be talking about an album later on, which is pro trans, aren't I? You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Same with the book. Um, so it's yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a really tough one for me to comment on, Steve, because I try to know the situation, and I don't want to sit on the fence here because I, I, I very rarely do. If I'm being brutally honest. Uh, but it's 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 I can't I can't figure out um, why if it's got if it's not directed at the club, then mm -hmm. why somebody would be then involved and to follow somebody where the walk and all that or get information. I think that's very, as you say, it's very George Orwell, isn't it? You know, and that's a bit wow. That's that's all, gonna, all I can say is wow. You know, yeah. You know, she's appealed. She's appealed a ban, but she was told on January the twenty sixth that it had been upheld because her tweets constitute harassment and go against the club's equality policy. But I just think it's a dangerous. I think it's a really dangerous precedent. If that's the set. case, though, why didn't Twitter ban her? Exactly. Well, Elon Musk supports her. Right, that doesn't make any sense, then, does it? Um, it's not uh, a I mean, hate crime. Northumbria police have said it's not a hate crime. Uh, it's, one, it's, it's one. It's one really to watch. I think, and I just think for, from I the reason I'm covering it each each show this week is really just to highlight it because we don't get everybody watching every show, and I think it's very important that people are fully aware of this particular situation. And and pretty much like you, I I, I listen. I'm, I'm not on the fence with this at all. I don't think this is right. But what I'm trying to say to people who watch NUFC Matters is, uh, especially our crowd is slightly older who watches this channel, is that you just, you know, and, and some of us maybe aren't as savvy as others are, are on social media, is just, and I used this years ago during lockdown, think before you tweet, because it's not, you know, it, it could end up causing you a, a lot of grief because there are people who are quite clearly watching social media and willing to, willing to complain about things. You know, it's just... I know it, it should sound like basic comic sense, but it but it's not. That's a really bizarre scenario. <laughs> it's a bizarre scenario, isn't it? You know, so it's a yeah. head round. Um, it is. Well, know. it does segue though deliberately and nicely into what you wanted to cover this week, which is the reason that I thought I'd bring it up <laughs> on this show. Um, okay, so we'll go with this first bit. Um, yeah, the Buddha of Suburbia. The Buddha of Suburbia. I've got my notes here as well. I don't have many notes on it, to be perfectly honest, because it fits in with the album that I want to talk about. Uh, it's, it's a classic book. It's Hanif Karishi released, I think it's in the very early 90s. It was a TV show, a great TV show. Um, 
And David Bowie did the original soundtrack for it as well, which is fantastic, and does the theme tune as well, which is great. Uh, it's set in the 1970s about a young Asian lad who's discovering his sexuality. As, and at the same time, in terms of discovering sexuality in London, is, is you've also got the whole music scene going off. So you've got like the prog scene, the glam rock scene, and then there's references to the pub rock scene and the punk rock scene that comes in. So it's really, it's very music orientated, hence this version of the sleeve. There's about 10 different covers of it. And it's, it's really exciting. It's really funny. But of course, it's dark. It has themes with regards to the racism of the 1970s. The, the 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 themes of homophobia, uh, with which was very prevalent at the time, and the idea, and as I say, the idea of youth culture and coming to terms with his whole sexuality. It's an absolutely great book, really funny. It is really funny and beautifully written. Uh, I've spoken to Hanif Karishi about it before. Actually, a really nice guy. Uh, just a top top story. If you get the chance to watch the TV show, and I think it's on BBC Catch Up because it was on. They put it back on about six months ago, and I think it's on for a whole year. So it's on BBC iPlayer, I believe. Go and watch it. It's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic and genuinely funny. Um, yeah, when, when you watch the TV version, there's a, without going into, into it too much, there's a, there's a sex scene, and Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick comes on. Watch it, because it's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and what album are you bringing us this week, Ted? So I've gone with Transformer by Lou Reed, which is an absolute masterpiece, photographed by Mick Rock which is great. I think it was done at the Astoria and I was outside it last week with, uh, with my wife, Karen. And, uh, there was, it's, it's, it's got a blue plaque outside it and it's got that and Iggy Pop's, um, raw power cover were both done, I think in the same week. Uh, so they, they both made the front covers by Mick Rock, which is great. And it's an, an album produced by, uh, Mick Ronson, Bowie's great guitar player and Bowie himself. Although Ronson tends to do most of the work by the sounds of it. And it's, a, it's an album about the unseen side of New York nightlife in the early 70s. And it's about Lou Reed. Uh, it, it features a number of, of trans and gay characters, such as Candy Darling, the Sugar Plum Fairy, Holly, Holly Woodlawn, and all these characters from Andy, Wood, uh, Andy Warhol's factory. And he, he paints them in a very, in a great way, actually. It's fantastic. Uh, Lou Reed himself was involved in a trans relationship for a number of years. It, it, but it, it's it's a fabulous album ahead of its time. It's a glam rock album of its time. It was supposed to be David. It was supposed to be Lou Reed and the Spiders from Mars. It was originally going to be Bowie's backing band, but uh, Bowie's manager wouldn't allow it. So we just got Mick Ronson and Trevor Boulder on one track. But there's some great songs on it. You've got Vicious, which is fantastic, featuring Ronson's guitar. Walk on the Wild Side, which somehow was a hit despite having the having the line given head in it. <laughs> you don't know how that gets into the charts, but it did. Uh, Perfect Day, Mick Ronson basically transformed it, pardon the pun, an average type song by putting his piano on it, rearranging the whole thing and putting strings on it. And the arrangement is absolutely sensational. And it's one of the great, great songs. Uh, and then finally, the other big shout out is for David Bowie's Satellite of Love backing vocals. He did it in one take, and it's arguably the greatest bit of backing singing I've ever heard. It's about 40, 45 minutes long of sheer glam, glam and camp perfection from the early 70s. It's brilliant masterpiece. There we go. Great stuff, mate. Thanks for that. And uh, if you want to uh, get a, a listen to that, get yourself onto where. Uh, 
one of those uh, music download uh, sites you get yourself on a spotlight um spotify sorry or um or apple music uh some but you can yeah I, I love that album it's a great one um that was the first lou reed i ever heard as well so fantastic mate really good uh okay 15 minutes left in the show uh just talk about england for a second and um yeah. monday brought confirmation that england's national team are going to stage a friendly ahead of the euro 2024 at st james's park Monday's 3rd of June, 7.45 kickoff. Sees Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, visit St. James's Park. So, uh, yes, England are back. It's their first visit since uh, 2005. Reason to be cheerful, Sid? Yeah, I mean, I'll try and get tickets to go. I remember going to the one, and I can't remember whether it was that one or not, when Beckham was captain. Was it Azerbaijan? Possibly Albania. Albania. Well, Albania was in 2001. Ukraine yeah. was in 2004, and Azerbaijan was 2005. All right, I can't remember which one it was, but uh, Beckham was captain. I remember that one, and I, 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 it was spoiled by all the flipping No Surrender Brigade, and it was honestly, I was absolutely fed up with them, morons, and they were just giving it, giving it that, you know, and it was quite intimidating and a scary atmosphere. For a, mm -hmm. for a game that should be a, first of all, it should always be a family sort of atmosphere in terms of nobody should be intimidated coming to the match. Yeah. But there was a real sense of intimidation and it felt for me, um, being a brown man, if you like, it was a bit, it was a bit worrying, uh, if yeah. I'm being perfectly honest, it felt like it did back in the early 80s again. And you're sort yeah. of looking around, making sure that you, you, you what's going on. And it was a horrible atmosphere. I just remember being an awful atmosphere. It spoiled the whole thing. So I'm hoping we're not going to have any of the knuckleheads there and it's going to be open and sort of your, your normal fans to go along and enjoy the game, cheer the lads on and do really well, you know, because England should be playing. For me, my personal view, I would have had England on the road all of the time. I, th I think it's farcical that they, they had Wembley built, rebuilt. I would have personally had it in the middle of the country if they were going to do a national stadium. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> they've obviously been playing all the time down Wembley to try and pay it off. And, and my, one of my big bugbears, and I mentioned this the other week to you, is the, the view, my view is that I hate the semi-finals being at Wembley. I think it's wrong. And it takes away some of the, the, the glory of getting to Wembley and the beauty of getting to Wembley. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we haven't won there in about 10 occasions, as somebody reminded me the other week, then I don't want to go and win on the 10th occasion and lose on the 11th, which would be the final. So let's just have a big... I'd rather I'd rather we play in sort of Villa Park or Old Trafford or whatever for the semis. And then yeah. you get to a final and it's a much bigger and more special occasion. Like it was with the League Cup, because the League Cup was really special. You know, before we had the home and away ties in the semis. I mean... I reckon the semi. I reckon the semi-final atmosphere last year, and this might yeah. be controversial. I thought it was even better than the PSG atmosphere. Yeah, I would it, agree. It's at home. I thought it was a fantastic atmosphere when we got that winner. It was brilliant. It was one of the best atmospheres. I think the best atmosphere I can ever recall is probably the Barcelona game from '97, and then probably going right back to the Keegan era. And, Five nil. Uh, 5-0 Newcastle, yeah. Manchester United. Well, I, I, I was at uni at the time, so I missed that. I was on a table. And Andy Cole, scored, Andy Cole scored his 41st goal. Um, yeah, that was great, wasn't it? That was great. Yeah, and, and Shearer's and she testimonial. Probably the biggest the biggest noises that I can recall at St James's Park in my time. Uh, which which was the one? Was it Peter Biazzi's testimonial when Kevin Keegan came on? Yeah, that was... Um, was, it, was it not Kenny Wharton's? 
And I think it was Keegan's, and the noise was on. Keegan came on, and the noise was unbelievable. Uh, yeah. That was that was incredible. That was incredible. That, that was that was top top draw. Because because these 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 testimonials that they had, and I think it's reason to stop them. Like they always seem to pick Celtic, obviously because they're yeah. a big support. Celtic or Rangers, the Gallagher would stink of, of whiskey for some reason. It was yeah. honking, absolutely yeah. honking. Sorry, sorry, I digressed from England. I do apologise. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I think no, I think you're right. I think you know, I, I think you're right. But yeah, I mean, some there's been some great atmospheres over the years. But I, I know I would agree with you. FA Cup, um, obviously the fifth round tie against Blackburn has been confirmed as the 7:45 kickoff on Tuesday, February the 27th, live on BBC One. Uh, the Alan Shearer Derby. Um, yeah. Another, another, you know, another long trek for Newcastle fans. Not as long as as, as yeah, it could it's be, not, but it's another, not terrible. But it's it's another nighttime game, another late journey back for Newcastle fans. No trains, of course, after that, and um, you know that's probably the only that that's probably the only disappointment that it's you know it's, it's midweek, you know, a Tuesday night. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's a chance to progress to the quarterfinals. Oh, I, I, I see us walking that. They're they're having a shocker at the moment. Relegation. Um, Oh. Yeah, I, I I don't mind Blackburn if I'm being brutally honest. I didn't mean to agree down over that way for you know, so I, I don't mind Blackburn. Um yeah, they're 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 sort of yeah, they're all right, aren't they? They're not bad. I've I've been to a couple of games there in the past and it's always been pretty decent when we played down there. Um so I ex I expect us to walk through that, even with a sort of even if we put a weekend team out, I'd expect us to walk that. Not that I expect us to put a weekend team out, mind you, because the FA Cup for me has to now be the priority. Yes, I want us to do really well with the league, but let's go and win a cup. Yeah, and hopefully and, uh, get a hopefully get a decent draw if we can get through that game. Um and avoid the need, we, just need, we just need Man City Liverpool to sort of draw each other and then get knocked out in the next round, don't we? You know, and then uh Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else is anybody else is beatable. You've just got to try and get them and keep keep them for the final, or, or hope that they knock each other out. You know, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's Liverpool something. Liverpool looked beatable yesterday for the first time for a long time. I mean, I've tipped mm. Liverpool to win the league this year, uh, which yeah. was probably quite brave in September. But um, yeah, they looked really beatable. They looked really beatable yesterday. They looked in the shadow of the form of the Celtics. I don't know if it was just a one-off game or not. You know, you've got Salah to come back though. Arsenal celebrated like they'd won the league. Oh, I, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't understand it. Two of the most odious, dislikable managers in the Premier League, Jurgen Klopp and Mikel Arteta. And, you know, it's a game where I don't want anybody to win. But, of course, they that's not possible. They over the Alex Ferguson mantle of dislikable managers. Yeah. And it's just like, I always had quite a soft spot for Liverpool in the past. Until yeah, he's come sense. along and I just, because the fans are quite similar. And then you go, oh, or the city is anyway. And then you go, oh, dear me, really? You yeah. know, he's awful. And I've always liked Arsenal. I've always liked Arsenal. They always played lovely football. I mean, all right, yeah, George Graham and that, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And uh, and and then and then all of a sudden, the the, the manager's appalling. He's absolutely mm -hmm. appalling. It's it's everybody else's fault and all the rest of it. And you're the re you know, and he moaned on about for Newcastle when we beat them. For about six weeks, <laughs> he's like, "Let it go, man. Let it go. It's done. It's gone. It's over." <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned the transfer window briefly, and 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 albeit briefly, because nothing happened. Um, yep. Other than the permanent deal for Alfie Harrison, uh, he's a, tra uh, a transfer of course, obviously from Manchester City. He looks years, good. Eighteen years of age, um, and his deal runs until twenty twenty six. He'd made a couple of appearances. 
um, in the 21s uh, before he left, but under-18s was his level. But they reckon he's more advanced than uh, Lewis Maley. He looks quick as well. Have you seen the footage yeah. of him? Yeah. Look very impressive. Mind you, I think they've signed him a short, shorter term deal because I think has he done he's either done one or both knees in at some point. Yeah. In terms of cruciates, and as a man who's had one, it, it ain't easy to get over. Um so I can see why, and I believe, and I could be wrong, so feel free to message. I think Man City got a 40% sell-on close as well. Oh. Which is a whopper. But if you think about it, if he's here yep. for 10 years, who cares? You know? Yep. Um, and also, that's the way Newcastle have to look at in terms of their future as well, in terms of getting youngsters. And if you're going to sell them, put a whopping sell-on clause as well, so you're always going to score further on down the line. And that's the way that's the way we're going to end up making money as well. So I can't blame City for doing that. But he looks a player. He looks a real player. Quick. Stick him in the squad. If he looks good enough for Eddie Howe, and I'm sure Howe will stick him in, just judging by the fact he's done so with Miley and he's given some of the other young lads a go as well. So, and Saturday sees Newcastle back in Premier League action. Uh, we take on Nuno Espirito Santos, uh, Nottingham Forest at the city ground in a 5 30 uh, kickoff uh, on Sky Sports. All the away end tickets, as usual, have been sold. 2,950 was the allocation. Uh, this is Newcastle's sixth Premier League visit uh, to the city ground. Uh, we remain unbeaten in the first five, drawn the first three, and winning the most recent games. Our last top flight loss on the banks of the Trent uh, was in 1987, Sid. And that was, was uh, yeah, Gaza well, was on target in a 2 1 first division defeat on the last day of the season. Uh, and the game ended in what was a tradition back in those days a pitch invasion. <laughs> uh, uh, Newcastle's team to follow, but we do know um, this week that uh, Alexander Rizak will miss uh, that game and the Bournemouth game uh, as, a, as a precaution. Uh, no news on any incomings were uh, uh, into the first team pool again. Uh, will Willock uh, be a step closer? Uh, we'll find out, I guess, from Eddie Howe's press conference on Friday. Um, we've got a full week to prepare, but Forrest are in action on Wednesday. They've got Bristol City in an FA Cup fourth-round replay, which is good news uh, for us. Um, they've got uh, a couple of uh, Newcastle former players at the City ground. Chris Wood is there, although he could be injured uh, at the weekend. Matt Sells is now uh, there, uh, the goalkeeper. Let's hope he's in goal. Yeah, let's hope he's in goal. Um, John Joe Shelby no longer there, of course. His uh, move to uh, Riseport in Turkey, that was uh, a permanent transfer. So, Forrest are now winless in all six league and cup games played this year. Obviously, we've got this game coming up um, midweek in the FA Cup, so that may well change. Um, but, yeah, this is a, this is another revenge mission, isn't it? And um, they're, they're you know, good at home normally, and they've got great fans. They've got a good fan base. It makes a lot of noise at their at their ground as well, don't they? Um, Chris Wood I mean, missing no. I mean, he scored a hat trick at uh, St James's Park on Boxing I, I, Day. I, I'm still traumatized by the fact that Chris Wood got a hat trick. I remember <laughs> Stephen, who I sit next to at the match. I yeah. Did Chris Wood just score a hat trick? Yeah. I, I, I genuinely came out and I was talking to myself. I couldn't get my head around the fact that Chris Wood scored a hat trick. Regular viewers of this show will know that I was a Chris Wood <laughs> fan and was very pleased when Newcastle signed him and was disappointed when we sold him and said that we're a comeback to bite us on the backside. So, yeah, I, I was right about that. It has to be said. I understand why people weren't fan of Chris Wood. He's not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, but, you know, 
it's by the by. Hopefully, he won't be playing at the weekend, and we, uh, you know, we, we we get on we get on with getting three points in the bag. But it is it is a tough game, this one, isn't it? It is. They've got some tasty players, as I say. I'm, I'm a huge fan, and I've mentioned this earlier on in one of the shows. Uh, Gibbs White, I think, is fantastic. I love to see him at the club. He's uh, he's a really bright, promising footballer. Really got. I think he's got everything about him. He would he would definitely be one that I would go and sign in the summer without a shadow of a doubt. Pace intelligence, tracks back, really good on the ball, everything you want. So he's he's the danger man for me. He's the man to watch. Um, they've got a centre forward. Up, up, they've got a new forward as well, I believe. I can't remember his name. Um, there's nobody else I'm fearful from that team. If they play cells in goal, I absolutely hope so. He's terrible. He was terrible for us. He's one of the worst goalkeepers I've seen at the club. <laughs> so I'm genuinely amazed that he's got signed up anybody. I thought he'd retired. And when no. I saw Matt Sells going to Forest, I was I was genuinely taken aback. Um I I I can see us I can see us walking it. I, I can okay. see us walking it. I really can. I can see it being three one, maybe it's even four one. I, I I don't they're good. They're good at home. They're pretty good at home and have a great atmosphere. All down to the first goal. It's all down to the first goal. If we get the first goal, we can go and trounce them. If they get the first goal, then it makes it much more difficult, of course. But they're susceptible to goals, although many may argue that we are at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. okay. and will Will he play Dan Byrne at left back? That's the big question. Would I, you? No. Livermento. Uh, no. Definitely. I mean, people harp on about, oh, he's, he's right-footed and he shouldn't be left-back. But people forget, Dennis Irwin played left-back for his whole career. He was the best and he was right-footed. He would be in the top two or three left-backs at the Premier League scene. He was mm -hmm. top draw. He was genuinely a world-class player. And that's no over-egging it. Uh, don't get me wrong, I don't want to see Livermento as left-back permanently. You know, He's going to be a right-back for many, many a year. Or at the moment, he can play really well there. He's very intelligent. He's quick. Not lightning, but he's quick. Reads the game really well. I love the fact he's very rarely slides and he just nips the ball off people's feet. Just watch him. He's brilliant. And he would be starting every time over Dan Byrne for me. And that's not a, a slight on Dan Byrne, who I would certainly have as a backup and as a centre-half backup. And I think he's been fantastic for the club. Really, really fantastic. But... You've got to be ruthless sometimes. And if you've got a better player out there, play him. You know, and that's just the way it has to be. And Livermento is a better player. So play him. You know. And that's, that's, okay. that's, well, do I think Eddie, Eddie Howe will? No. I think he played Dan Byrne. Yeah, same as me. I, I, yeah, I, I, but but there may well be a change. You, you just don't know. He's... He, he may just want to throw an arm around him and say, "Look, you know, have a little bit of a breather. I've asked you to do a lot of, I've asked you to do a lot over the course of the last few weeks, and um, you know, maybe it's time to have that little breather." But if he does do that, how is, if, and Tino comes in and does well, how is he gonna, how is he gonna get back in? It's, it's gonna be interesting. But the way our injury list is going, he'll probably be straight back in the following week. <laughs> <laughs> um, great stuff. Where can people find uh, your podcast, mate? It's time to give uh, time to on, give that a plug. On YouTube, songs from the attic at 1977. I think is the full title. I keep forgetting to put it back on. But uh, yeah, just give us a shout. We'll stick it on next week, or we'll stick under the comments or something. Um, yeah. I'm doing a few more shows coming up soon on on various different apps. But we've got. Going back to the quadrophenia thing at the beginning, there we do a top. There is one on 
or top 10 greatest albums of all time. I've given mine away now when I picked Quadrophenia, but uh, the others didn't. And there's some really great choices. So give that show a watch because it's a super show, that one. So thank you very much, folks. Good stuff, mate. Great to have you on. Look forward to seeing you next week, mate. Have a good week. You too, TK. Look after yourself. Bye-bye.